Looking forward to what the Lord has for us. But this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to you, Lord. And we do open up our Bibles. I thank you for uh, us being able to bring the word, to be able to open our Bibles, to get our pens out, take notes, highlight, because we want to hear from you. And we know that there is an importance of the word of God. And I pray that we would um, take these things that are written really not only looking at the implication, but the application for us today. Lord, we see that so many people are confused. They're discouraged. They're wondering. They seem defeated. Wondering what's going to happen in this new year. We see all the upheaval around us. We've seen how, Lord, things are getting more difficult confusing over the last couple days we saw the destruction in the heartland of our nation as tornadoes ripped through those states of Illinois and Kentucky and and Tennessee Arkansas seeing the devastation is just overwhelming many lost as we hear about tornadoes on the ground for over 200 miles in mid-December, we're dealing with more variants of the COVID, uncertainty all around us, and we wonder, what is this all about, and what does it mean for us? How, how do we deal with all these things? We have the answers from you that bring us stability and wisdom, to bring us comfort, And so, Lord, we do lift up those in the Midwest that have suffered loss, loved ones. So many died. That you bring comfort to them. To those who have lost businesses and homes and churches destroyed, we pray that you bring provision. That you minister to them. There be rebuilding. Lord, for those who are wondering that there be comfort that would be brought from the believers. So Lord, I just pray that you would work and show yourself strong on their behalf. And Lord, others that we know around us that are discouraged or feeling down that you would use us in the days in which we're in. And so Lord, we thank you that we can be here. Help us to be free from distractions. We want to have our ringers off our phones. We want to really pay attention and take heed to the things that are being said to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think in the last two years that most of us, if not all of us, would agree and you would say that surely it's been challenging, it's been difficult to different ways and different degrees. And as I've already mentioned, we're still dealing with this pandemic. I thought when we entered into 2021 that we kind of, by the time we got to the end of the year, that we would be done with the pandemic, that it would really be behind us. But it seems like it's worse than ever. We've been affected as a fellowship, a number of people that have had COVID. And and we also, as we hear about a new variant and Omicron and, and all the concern that it brings, we also not only are we been dealing with the pandemic, but other challenges and, and difficult 
things that are around us. We know the economy is, we hear just a couple of days ago how inflation is the highest it has been in, in 40 years. High gas prices and shortages of supplies. And people are struggling economically. But not only, you know, physically and, and economically, but also emotionally, also mentally. People feel more isolated than ever before discouraged and depressed. We know that suicide is on the increase. Alcoholism and drug use is at an all-time high. And we look at our nation and we get concerned as we hear about these things. The, the request for mental you know, health services have increased, where I read, 300% over the last two years. We know that as we see the things going on in our nation and in our culture, that there is the violence and the crime and, uh, that is on the increase and violent crimes in our cities. In every major city, it is on a great increase. And we know that Chicago, that there's been over a thousand homicides in Chicago alone. And we see it in our own state. And as we read the news and we see it every day that there's a talk about, you know, another shooting, another car theft, another assault, whatever the case may be. And it gets overwhelming. We hear about drought and how there's a lack of snow and the drought in the West. And we begin to think about, are we going to have the snowpack? So all these things are taking place. And now as we enter into 2022, we're going to be entering into another election year. So what can happen is uncertainty and fear can really begin to grip our hearts, even as Christians it happens. So we're going to stop here, and for the next four weeks, I pray that we're encouraged and uplifted, that we get our focus back on the Lord, and today talking about the Word of God and moving forward in these difficult days in prayer. And you might be thinking, well... You know, we know that the Word of God is priority. We place an emphasis on it here at Calvary Chapel. But I think about Peter. Peter said, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you be established in them. Paul would write to the Philippian believers, For me, the right the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And as we are reminded, as we go into chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, of the priority of the Word of God, as we talk about the priority of prayer in our lives, that, that I pray that it touches us in, in a deeper way than ever before. That we are reminded of this to really know the importance and the priority of God's Word in our lives. It's in the book of Amos. I taught through Amos just a few Wednesdays ago as we're going through the Old Testament. And Amos was ministering to mainly the house of Israel during a time when the house of Israel was very prosperous. They were strong economically. They were strong uh, militarily. Things were really going well externally for the nation. And the same thing was happening with Judah as well. And as Amos gives that message, we know that he would give a message of things are wrong spiritually, that there's the false prophets, the false worship that were on the scene. And in culture, there was a lot of things going on that we see taking place in our own nation, in our own culture today. And in Amos chapter 8, he writes that there's a famine. It's not of bread, but of the hearing of the word of God. And it was true not only 2,700 years ago for Amos and at that time for God's people but I believe that there's a famine of the hearing of the word of God today. That is in our nation and in our culture. That there is a diminish of the importance and the priority of the word of God amongst Christians. 
Well, Paul the Apostle here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know that this is the last epistle that Paul writes that he pens, inspired by God, as he's writing to Timothy. This is right before he is put to death. He is in prison for the second time in Rome. He's at the end of his life. He knows that his departure is at hand. And he's dropped into this Mamertine dungeon. It was an awful place. It was not like his first imprisonment where he was under house arrest and he could see people. This time is Caesar Nero who has waged war against the Christians. He is persecuting the Christians. He is tying them up to the stakes uh, there in Rome, and he's burning them to death. He is uh, torturing them in horrible ways, feeding them to the lions. He has waged war against the Christians. And Paul is arrested as well as Peter during this time, and, and they are taken to Rome, and Paul is dropped into this, this dungeon, again, the, the Tulalanum is what it was called, and he's dropped there, and there's straw in the corner, and he's cold, you can hear Paul as he says to Timothy, Timothy, bring my coat. It's cold here. Little bit stream, a little spring in a corner, if you dare to drink the water, smell the human waste. It was an awful place. And Paul, during this time, he takes pen to parchment, and he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. These are the last words of Paul, and any time that we give our last words to someone that are close to us, they're very important words. Paul would call Timothy his beloved son in the faith. He had a very special bond that could only be found in the Lord. And Paul, he isn't writing about Caesar Nero. He isn't writing about Rome, any of those things. But he's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, never be ashamed of the gospel, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. And Timothy, make sure that you hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. And he says, Timothy, my son. You see, Paul's about ready to hand the baton of ministry on to Timothy. He considered him a son, a son in the faith, that you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and you be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul's just exhorting Timothy over and over again concerning his life and his ministry in the Lord. This is how you are to conduct yourself, and this is what you are to be about. And know this, Timothy, as we read in chapter 3, verse 1, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. In the last days, not that it might come, or it's a possibility, but Paul is writing saying that in the last days that perilous times will come. And that word perilous takes on the meaning, as, as many of you know, of very stressful times, very difficult times. It speaks of upheaval, even has the meaning of violence, because Paul, he borrows that word from Matthew chapter 8, as, as many of you know. When we went through the book of Matthew, in chapter 8, Jesus goes over to the area of the Gadarenes by the Sea of Galilee. And as he goes over there, he meets two demoniacs, and they are described as exceedingly fierce. That's our word here. That it's going to be perilous times. It's going to be exceedingly fierce, the days in which we are in. And then as we continue here, we see that he gives us, in verses 2 through 5 of this chapter, you read 19 characteristics that describe the human condition 
of these last days. And as we look at it very quickly here and we read them, I think that we would agree that this does describe very clearly what our world is like today, what we see around us. He says it's going to be perilous times because men will be lovers of themselves. It takes on the meaning of having a love for ourselves. It speaks of being self-centered, that we are the center of life to love self, and that's very much is what is told to us in our world today, that, that you are to love self, be self-centered, you are the center of life, you're the center of the world. And men will be lovers of money. It speaks of not just having money, but it speaks of greed. When you read those books of the prophets in the Old Testament, when those prophets came and indicted the children of Israel, that even though, as Amos in his day was speaking to the house of Israel, externally they were doing well, they were prosperous economically, but we see over and over again the Lord addressed their greed. They were greedy. They were ripping each other off. They would uh, stay up at night thinking about, how can I rip off my neighbor, my brother? How can I steal their land? How can I, I gain from them? And so this has the meaning of lovers of money. It's the love of money that's the root of all sorts of evil. Paul would write to Timothy in his first letter to him. It speaks of being greedy. It's the priority of you know, men's lives is making money and being greedy. And he goes on and he lists that men will be boasters and proud and blasphemers, which speaks again of being self-centered and abusive towards others, that others really don't matter, only you matter. Uh, disobedient to parents is what's listed. It speaks of children that are out of control, disrespectful to parents, undermining their authority. I believe that we see that that's promoted today. He lists that men and women will be unthankful and unholy, unloving and unforgiven. It speaks of no appreciation. Nothing is sacred. Contempt towards others, bitter towards others. They will be slanderers on the scene. It will mark our world, being malicious towards others. That men will be lovers of self and, and without self-control, their passions are out of control, their conduct, their behavior, there's no control, there's no shame. Men will be brutal. We see how cruel and brutal people can be. Despisers of good. And how true that is today, calling good evil and evil good. The list goes on as he says the characteristics of, of people in the last days are going to be traitors and headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, having a form of godliness but denying his power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort, verse 6 goes on to tell us, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts. And so as Paul is writing here, he's warning Timothy, know that it's going to be perilous times, it's going to be stressful times, great upheaval, very fierce times is going to happen because this is going to be the characteristics of men. There's this misdirected love that's going to take place. And also what's going to be happening is there's going to be this form of godliness but no power. There's this self-love that's taken place. It's not a true love of God. It is a love that is turned inwardly and there will be that which calls itself the church even, a form of godliness, but there's no power. And the reason that there is no power is because there's no gospel. In other words, sin is not defined. 
There's no mentioning of repentance towards God. The surrender to Jesus Christ. To humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. To deny self and pick up your cross and follow after him. Unfortunately, there are more and more churches today that what they want is a leader. They want a philosopher. They want a motivator, an entertainer, a self-promoter. Alan Redpath said, you cannot be a promoter and a prophet. So much of what we see today, the best-selling books in the Christian market flying off the shelves is what's in it for me, how I can be successful, how I can gain the best of you and the best is yet to come and all of this and the champion within you, things like that. But there's no mentioning of repenting, of being born again. Paul says that there's going to be a church that will tell people they can stay in their sin with no change. And he says that such you need to continually be turning away. And in verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive, uh, captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts. And, and always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And keep in mind that the spirit of the last days, as we're being told here, is going to be marked by those trying to get into our homes, promoting and teaching that which is false, you know, bringing confusion and fear, trying to take you captive. And what can happen to us as Christians if, that, if we are not grounded in the word of God and we are immature and gullible, you see, what will happen is many will believe and embrace and pay attention to most anything if it's packaged where it sounds good. That sounds really good. That's for me. That's pleasing to the flesh. That sounds exciting. But the message is false. There's going to be a form of godliness where they seem to have an answer to anything and everything, but are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We have so many voices that are around us. I've mentioned this before. Social media. That people spend hours and hours on social media. There is YouTube. There is the talk shows. There's 24-hour news channels and analysis. And listen, we are to be informed. We want to be informed. The things that we see going on around us concern us. And we want to know about it. But there are those that will just listen to it all day long and we're not reading the word of God. We're not going to the Lord. Just continual analysis and looking at this from this point of view and all of this. I call them the talking heads. All these talking heads that are all over the place. The opinions, the analysis, as we see that it easily comes into our household through the devices that we have, more information available than ever before. Paul is saying, listen, be careful. And he goes on and he says in verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So as we read this, remember in our study of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, when the disciples came and they asked Jesus, what are the signs of the end? What are the signs of your coming? 
Jesus began to talk to them about the birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows. And the very first thing that he mentioned was that you beware, take heed, because there's going to be the false teachers, the false Christs and prophets that will be on the scene. And I believe as you travel through chapter 24, if you remember, that three times Jesus warned his disciples about that. He warned about the false prophets and Christ that will be on the scene, that will deceive many, even showing great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You see, Satan is told, we are told of Satan, that is, Paul says, and writes in 2 Corinthians, that he's like an angel of light. It seems like the things that he will present to us is light. But he does it with demonic powers. And he's out to deceive and to corrupt and bring that which is false to us in these last days. And he is doing that. Now, as we read this, he talks about those with corrupt minds and, and counterfeits in, in verses uh, 7 8, and 8 and in verse 9. Who are Janus and who are Jambres? Because they're not mentioned specifically in the Bible. But we do get a hint here because they resisted Moses. So we can go back to the book of Exodus. And, of course, Moses, as he's called by God to go to Egypt to give a message to Pharaoh. He would go to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. So they resisted Moses. So it's probably a reference to the magicians of Egypt that Pharaoh would call. And do any of you remember, I think a lot of us, that remember the old Ten Commandments movie, movie Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner, you know? They used to have it on every Easter weekend, but they don't show it anymore. But in that movie, you remember Charlton Heston comes to Pharaoh, Yul Brenner, and says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And he threw his staff down, and it turned into a snake. And then it was, you know... Pharaoh that said, Janus, Jabris, get out here. So that's who they are, just so in case you're wondering. <laughs> so again, they probably were the wise men. We know from the account of Exodus that they resisted Moses. So Moses, he throws his staff down, and then they throw their staff, staffs down, and they turn into a snake. Moses' snake ate their snakes. But then as it continued, we know that Moses would turn water into blood. And the magicians, they would turn some water that they found that wasn't polluted, they turned it into blood. Then Moses, he called up the frogs. And then the magicians come along, and they called up frogs, which I find interesting. I mean, they had frogs everywhere. Can you imagine frogs leaping in your cupboard, in your food, in your refrigerator? And then they come and they call up more frogs. That's the thing always to remember. That the working of Satan is always to make things worse. He might come along in his counterfeit and in his deception to say, pursue this thing and, and pursue the worldly things and the pleasures. It'll make things better, but it will make things worse. His working is always to make it worse for your destruction, for your bad. As the plagues continue... Moses took his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and lice came up and it was the magicians of Egypt that said, we cannot duplicate this. This is the finger of God. So there are imitators and counterfeits and they withstood the truth that was brought to Pharaoh and that truth was, let my people go. 
And there are imposters everywhere and counterfeits that stand in the way. They may be charismatic. They seem to, to really know what they're saying. Religious seemingly. They are ones that really get your attention. They speak of things that appeal to you. But they stand against the truth. And they are trying to keep you into a self-focused, self-centered, self-loved life. And they will keep you from the cross that sets you free. And they will keep you, as these imposters and counterfeits, from the message that God has to this generation and to this culture. And that is, let my people go. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to be deceived and be gullible. To give in to the tricks and deception of the enemy. But to free you from sin, from the darkness. Even as Peter would write, he's brought us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. To free you from Egypt, the world. To live that abundant life that it has for you. He says that the counterfeits and those of corrupt mind... They're not going to progress anymore. They didn't in Moses' time, and they won't in our time as well, as the Lord will bring it all to an end. We know that Paul writes in the next chapter, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You might recall in his first letter, he said, in the latter times, the Spirit expressly says that there are going to be those who are going to be given over to doctrines of demons. Paul says this is what's going to happen in the last days. That there's going to be those with itchy ears ready to hear anything that is good. But it's not truth. And as we continue back to chapter 3 here, he then returns to his own example of endurance and faithfulness as he continues writing in verse 10 of chapter 3, but you have carefully followed my doctrine and matter of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, verse 11, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see, when you have someone who says that they are a leader, someone who wants to mentor you, someone who wants to disciple you, someone who wants to shepherd you, the term today that is popular is to be your coach. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But you can get on social media, there's all kinds of coaches. Health coaches, you know, business coaches, this coach, make your life better, to make you successful, all of this. But whoever that you have to lead you spiritually, listen. Do you look at their manner of life? Do you look at their manner of faith, their doctrine, their purpose? Can you look at them and say, I can follow their example? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as we look to others, you see, here's the thing. All of us, we have influence to others. Whatever state that you're in. Parents, you have great influence to your kids. Grandparents to your grandkids. What kind of legacy do you want to leave to them? 
What kind of inheritance do you want to leave? The most important inheritance and legacy is a godly inheritance, a godly legacy. So what's our example to them? And if we are living like the world, then you give no hope to your kids or whoever is linked to you in your life. If any of us have a legacy that is worldly, it will die when we die. Because the world's going to go away. And I know that all of you, I'm sure, would say, I want to leave a godly legacy to the people that I love around me, to my family, to my children. What are you going to pass on to the next generation? What are we going to pass on to our kids, to our grandkids? Because parents, dads, you have tremendous influence. Take care of your family. Be praying for your kids. Be one that you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Protect your home from those influences coming in. They say it's a priority for us to be grounded in the word of God. There are so many things that take us away from that. You have tremendous influence. Take care of your family. It's for me too. None of us do it perfectly. Do the people that love us and look at us, do they see that our faith is genuine? And I'll tell you the truth on this. You, you know, again, they're not going to see perfection at all. But is it phoniness? Kids can spot a, a phony a mile away. We're told about it. Our kids are on loan. They're loan to us, and we're going to be held accountable for what we taught them, what goes on underneath our roof. This is for me. My kids are growing up, and it's still for me. I have my first grandchild coming. I want to leave a godly legacy and inheritance to them because everything else is going to go away. And as we read, he's, he's saying to Timothy, you, you know my, my life, my faith, love and perseverance. And he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. As you stand up and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to go and be in fellowship with other believers. And we're going to teach our children the ways of the Lord. And we're going to pass that on to them. And as we stand for what is right, stand for Jesus and for righteousness, you will be persecuted. Don't think that you won't. You will be to some degree. Because the world is on a different course. And we need to be aware of what verse 13 is being told to us, that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. We will experience the persecution, imposters, those who look like and are thought of as being godly, who are imposters, they will grow worse and worse. Their numbers will grow. Their deception will grow, deceiving and being deceived. And imposters are not always easy to detect. Not as easy as evil men. And that's why it's very critical, very important that we have wisdom and discernment in the days that we are in, in these last days. We are told that we are to test the spirits, to be discerning and wise. 
as the imposters get worse and worse doing their sept of work and speaking false things. So how is it that we become discerning and wise? Well, I think most of you know, as we continue reading, let's finish the chapter. But you must continue in the things which you have learned, verse 14, and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a present imperative. You must, you must, you must continue in the scriptures. I hear a lot. I get mail, get invited to conferences, use our method, you know, hear some, you know, ways that we can reach the next generation, our culture, and all of this. And oftentimes, very little has to do with prayer and with the Word of God. And Paul here, he addresses it at a time that is very difficult, when persecution is very heavy against the Christian. He says, you must continue in the Scriptures. Isaiah would write the same thing in his day, when a nation had turned away from the Lord. He said that coming for the Word of God, he was being made fun of and he was being persecuted because he said it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little. It hasn't changed. It's the Word of God. And if we aren't grounded in the Word of God, we will be deceived, we will be swayed and fooled by the lies of the enemy in the days in which we are in because there's more lies and more deception and more evil and it'll bring more fear and confusion than ever before. And we cannot say, well, I was taught the Bible when I was young. I don't really need to read the Bible anymore. We must continue in the Scriptures. And anyone who calls himself a pastor or a Christian leader, a mentor, a coach, whatever it might be, says anything different, they are deceiving you. And they are cheating you. I mentioned this verse last week in Colossians. Paul says, listen, in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ." You're going to get cheated. You're going to get cheated. If you're not growing in the Word of God, you're going to get deceived, and you're going to become weak. That's for me and for all of us. Listen, this isn't a legalistic thing. This is a wisdom thing. Paul's writing to Timothy. You can hear Paul. He's writing in that dungeon. He's saying, Timothy, it's going to be perilous times. There's going to be counterfeit. There's going to be corrupt minds. And there's going to be evil men and imposters that are going to grow worse and worse. Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures. And in the next chapter, as he says, Timothy, my departure's at hand. Bring my coat, it's cold. But especially, I want you to bring the parchments. The word of God. That amazes me. That Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he's saying, bring the parchments. I'm going to keep studying the word of God. And know this, that we can trust the word of God. Because it is inspired, God breathed, put to the page. When you look at the faithful men and women of the scriptures, they were ones that prioritized the word and prayer in their lives. They let the scriptures make them wise for salvation, not only how we can come to Christ for eternal life through the cross, but it speaks of the full orb of blessing in our lives. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to walk in the darkness. We don't have to be confused. 
but we have godly wisdom given to us, and we don't have to fall to the tricks of the enemy. Nehemiah didn't give in to the tricks of the enemy, Tobiah and Sambalot, that was saying, hey, Nehemiah, get off the wall, come down, we want to talk to you. We got a discussion to have with you. And Nehemiah, who had a sword in one hand and a trial in the other, he said, I'm not coming down off this wall. I have the work of God to do. And I'm going to stay focused on it. I'm going to stay on this wall. And I'm just going to say this, and I don't say it condemningly, but I think in the last couple of years particularly, a lot of Christians have come off the wall and been distracted. And as Nehemiah says, no, I'm not getting off. He had wisdom and discernment, and there's no greater wisdom in the world is greater than any worldly wisdom. Psalm 119 the longest chapter in the Bible. And I love it because it emphasizes the word of God. And in, in, in verse 97, the psalmist writes, which I think was David, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourselves have taught me. And how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. David wrote that something similar in another psalm. That's why I think it's David. And through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way, or I hate evil. The word of God gives me more understanding than all my other teachers. It is David that wrote in Psalm 138, verse 2, Lord, you have magnified your word above your name. It is God-breathed, put to the page. All of it is profitable. I've said this before, but once in a while you hear a Bible teacher or somebody behind the pulpit say, well, the Bible contains truth. There's something wrong with that statement. The Bible doesn't just contain truth. The Bible is truth. From Genesis to Revelation, it's God-breathed, and it is profitable for, first of all, doctrine, telling us what is true about God, salvation, man's lost state. For reproof, it takes on the meaning of rebuke. For correction, making sure that we, correct, we have correct thinking and living. So when the scriptures tell us our ways and our conduct is wrong, then it is wrong. It's called sin. I don't care what culture says. And then the scripture tells us the correct way to live. Instruction in righteousness, telling us how to live in true righteousness. And knowing the scripture, he says, will make you complete. That is mature. There's no other shortcut to being a mature Christian. It changes us and instructs us. It equips us for every good work so we, we can live a life of faithfulness to God. The priority of the word and then the priority of, of prayer. We can talk for a long time about prayer. We will continue to do that throughout this series. But prayer is, needs to be the priority in the life of a Christian and the life of a church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continue steadfastly, the early church, in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, and in prayer. That Nehemiah, I've mentioned him. When he was the cupbearer to the king, he hears that Jerusalem's in rubble. He had never been there. His heart was quickened. He prays and fasts for four months. And then he asked the king, can I go back and rebuild the walls? He was a man of prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. We're going to see that when we go through the book of Daniels. 
In chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream and it troubled him. And so he says to the wise man of Babylon, tell me the dream, the interpretation of the dream. We can't do that. So he begins to kill the wise man of Babylon. And Daniel hears about it and he prays and he prays all night. And the next day he comes to Nebuchadnezzar and says that God has shown me the dream that you had in the interpretation of the dream. At the end of the captivity, many years later, that we know that Daniel, he's praying. He knows that God's people are going to be going back, that the 70 years of captivity are about over, and he's praying. He's praying for the nation. He's praying for his people. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and says, I come to give you understanding and knowledge. We are to be men and women of prayer. Pray for your family. Pray for your kids. We cannot say, I don't have time to pray. You know, I'm busy and I got things to do and I hope they're okay. Better do more than hope. You pray for your kids. You pray over your kids. You pray for your grandkids. You pray for your family. We as a church are to be a church that prayer is very important. And I know that as I think about it, I think, Lord, do we fall short in that? Do I? Because it isn't that I don't pray or we don't pray as a church, but I can give my time to so many other things rather than seeking the Lord. And prayer is, there's power in prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, Timothy, how I pray for you without ceasing. For the churches, he would say that. And then as we have seen that Jesus shows us the priority of prayer. And there in the garden, that he was praying while the others were sleeping. He said, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Men ought to always pray and not faint. We need to pray for our families, for the people that we know and care for, for our community, for our nation. We need to pray for a spiritual awakening because of the hope of our nation. Will you please remember that in this election year? I know that the issues are important. They concern us. We're going to have opinions and raise a voice about it, but the hope for our nation is not a person. It is the gospel and a spiritual awakening in this nation. And I believe God wants to save this nation. But we need to get back to prayer. And praying for our communities and praying for our nation, praying that there be a turning to the Lord. Because we're getting further away from the Lord. The priority of the Word of God in your life, the priority of prayer as we're moving ahead in difficult days. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these important reminders. And, Lord, we do want to move forward. We want to move forward in being strong and wise. And even as we saw Jesus was able to rise up when they came to arrest him, because first he had knelt down in prayer to the Father. So we need you, Lord. I pray that we would have a desire and a hunger for your word, not just academically, but, Lord, applying it because it's alive. There's power in the word of God. There's power in the gospel. 
to mature us, to grow us. So we don't have to be in the darkness. We don't have to be deceived. That we can be wise, not fall to deception, to the corrupt minds and counterfeits that are out there. That we would stand on the word of God. And Lord, that we would believe it. Because your word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. And I pray that we would be ones that we would have a desire to leave a godly legacy. Lord, I pray that we would be the men and women of God that you called us to be. We know that we, I'll speak for me, I know I fall short. It just makes me realize how much more I need you in your word. Lord, help us. We are here for such a time as this in these dark days, in the uncertainty, in the confusion, that we can bring wisdom and comfort and truth. I want to pray if there's anyone here that you've never come to Christ. It's coming and realizing your need to be forgiven. It's, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Jesus went to that cross and died for your sins because he loves you. And the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin because it brings death. Death came into this world because of sin. But Jesus came to bring life because he took the punishment that you deserve upon himself on that cross and died for you and in place of you. And before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. I did the work. I paid the price for sinful humanity. And so, Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here, they would know the truth of the gospel, and that is to come to you, ask for forgiveness, to surrender their lives to you as Lord and Savior for eternal life, for right relationship with you. Because no one comes to the Father except through you, through the cross of Calvary. And the resurrection that gives us a living hope. And if that's you, if anyone, if you're listening or later on the radio, call out to him. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Lord, that I ask that you forgive me a sinner and be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for dying for me and hearing my prayer, your love for me, and I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And for all of us as we leave this place, that we be encouraged and built up, desiring to know you more, to walk in your ways, and Lord, to walk in wisdom be men and women seeking you. So Lord, I thank you for today. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Would you please stand?